welcome to church this evening. For those joining us online, we welcome you to church tonight. Let's sing this old hymn of the church. I think it's page 130, I believe, in your church hymnal. It says, I shall, I, well, she never shall forget the day. I'll get it right here in a minute. Church. Oh, oh sinner, come. 
to greet one another in the Lord this time. God bless you.
let's let's remain standing this evening. Let's go back into worship together.
Lord. We glorify you. Holy Spirit, thou art
truly know that you are able to do anything. You can do exceedingly abundantly above that which our mind can think or comprehend. Father, you can do the impossible, for what is impossible with man is made possible by God. Father, tonight we have sung this song as a declaration or a cry of our heart. But God, it is so true. It's not just mere words on a screen. But God, it is a song within our hearts that truly we serve a God who is the God of the impossible. The God of exceedingly abundantly above and beyond even more. So God, today, Lord, we have felt your presence in this house this day. God, as we get ready to continue the remaining portion of this service, we no doubt, Lord, expect the same God that was with us this morning to be the same God that is with us tonight. And we expect the Lord that the same presence of God we felt in the house this morning will be the same one that hovers over this auditorium tonight and makes residency with us again. And Father, I pray for every man, woman, boy, or girl under the sound of my voice, whether in-house or online or maybe even streaming this service at a later time and date, that whenever they are a part of this service, they feel the same God that we felt today in their home, in their lives, in their jobs, in their communities. Lord, even if they're from a different church, in their church. For that, Lord, we will give you the praise and the glory and the honor and commit all of this into the loving arms of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The people of God together said amen. 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 You may be seated just for a moment in the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, you can go to the book of Revelation, chapter number 3. The book of Revelation, uh, chapter number 3, while you're turning there. To all those watching online, welcome. we welcome you to church today. I know there have been some earlier that were saying they were going to be streaming in tonight. They wouldn't be here, but they'd be streaming. So if they are watching, welcome to church. If someone watches this at a later date, we still welcome them to worship today. While you're turning to Revelation chapter 3, I just want to, I always don't take it lightly or for granted, when the presence of God moves like he did this morning. It's such a beautiful picture of what I believe heaven will look like. Where there'll come a day where every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every walk of life, every creed, every socioeconomic status, every ethnicity, will in one mind and one accord put all that aside just to worship Jesus. You know, we had, as, as Brett and Vanessa were here, we had... South American, uh, if you will, representation from Vanessa. We had Carrie Ann and Brother Gaines this morning who represented the islands of Jamaica. And then all of us that make up and comprise of the different ethnicities that we may have and familial tracing of our family lineage. That's what heaven's going to be like one day. 
It doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, white, green, purple, blue. We're all going to worship as one family at the throne room of God. And yes, I know we had preaching, and yes, I know we had singing, but there was just such a sweet spirit of God in the house this morning. Even in the time of our benediction and altar call, if you will, you could just sense the moving, the troubling of the waters, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and people were crying out, and they were loving God, and they were just pouring out their heart to God. Many of you have probably followed the Asbury, and the Lee University, and the Cincinnati, Ohio, and the various places of uh, pockets, if you will, of revival outpourings. And some of them have, I don't want to say have died out, but they've changed locations. They moved to different venues. Different things have changed. Just because people don't meet for a series of meetings every night doesn't mean revival is over. It just changes locations. Because revival was never, yes, it's to revive. So something that is dead has, that has to have once lived and be revived. So it's revival is more for the church. Regeneration of heart and salvation is for the sinner. The reality of it is, is once we're revived, we can't stay in the upper room forever. If the 120 in Acts chapter 2 would have just stayed there and never left, there would have never been a day of Pentecost where 3,000 souls were saved and filled and 5,000 added to the church because everybody would have still been 120 in a room. Church growth would have stopped immediately There'd have been 120 at church that Sunday, but it would have just stayed that way until Brother James eventually would have fallen apart. There wouldn't have been an additional growth. Because church growth is not designed for our four and no more and keep it within the confines of a building because if that's the case, they'll never come. That's why Jesus said go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come. The reality of it is Peter had to go out there and preach the gospel because what they experienced inside couldn't stay inside Jesus on the inside had to work on the outside so that he could make a change in their life. That's one of my, one of my family members used to sing that song. I've got Jesus on the inside working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Well, it was the same way. What was going on in the inside had to go to the outside so that other people's lives could be changed. I've often said that most people, they might pull off to the side of the road during a funeral out of respect. But nobody just jumps in the car line and follows the funeral possession to the body they don't know. Nobody just travels to funerals for fun. But if they see someone speeding down some side street near their house, and it's a fire truck, they'll detour going home to see which neighbor's house caught on fire. Or they'll detour to creep out just this past week. We had a situation at our house, not at our house, but in our neighborhood. Fire trucks and stuff were there. I was gone and... Brianna was at home, and she peeked out the window just looking to, to see in general outside and saw the fire trucks, and she was still just in her pajamas, but the nosiness of her, she just could not contain herself, so she went and got dressed, went outside in 30-degree weather and watered our plants to look like she's watering the flowers in the 30s just so she can see what's happening across the street. I said, you do realize they know you don't water your flowers below freezing, right? Well, maybe they didn't know the temperature. I said, really? Because she couldn't connect. Because what, what got to her is the best that she wanted to know. That happens with church, too. Nobody wants to go to a dying church. They want to go to a church that's living. It's alive. And you start having services like we've had since January 1st after preaching a series called Recapturing the Glow of God and the Presence of God. And you start seeing the Spirit of God move. People start asking questions. 
Then that time period, people like Brett and Vanessa have showed up, and Carrie Ann and Brother Gaines have showed up, and others have started to come. And today we, we had people we hadn't seen in a long time, Curtis and his family, come back and, and bring the girls. And man, I, I just Sister Carol described it as chill bumps when they walked in the room. It just, it just melted your heart to see all of them come back home for a change. I was at the basketball game yesterday, and I had a parent that wasn't even a kid that plays on our basketball team. Their kid plays on the JV girls basketball team, but they traveled to watch the game. Her and her husband go to another church, and she said, Coach, can I ask you a question, and, and you don't take it personal or, or get offended? I said, okay, sure. I thought it would be about the game, but she said, I just want to know, do you preach the same way you coach basketball games? Because if so, I have got to come to your church. <laughs> she said, because... I've never seen someone so passionate about basketball in all my life. I said, honey, if you think I'm passionate about basketball, you should come to church because you'd see nothing yet because I'm a lot more passionate about Jesus than I am a little orange spherical ball that goes through a nylon net. And she took it to her husband. She said, I don't care when we go, but you mark it down. We are going to see that happen at that church. So they got the information where our church is. I don't know if they'll ever come or not, but the point to be made is, that when something is moving, people notice God is moving. You say, well, Pastor, why'd you say all that? Because I want to tell you why, how I know that and show you how God knows that. This morning on our property, I said to you when I first got here, boy, what a good crowd it looked like this morning. I didn't know how many. I just said good crowd. We sat in here and we had church and the Spirit of the Lord moved. We had Somewhere, I think it was on 13 kids and adults in children's church this morning. 13. I think about 11 kids and two adults or something like that. We had th five in the nursery between babies and workers. We had a good-looking crowd in the sanctuary. And I, I couldn't, at the time this morning, put all the pieces together. But I thought, man, we, we probably hit high 50s. We definitely were in the low 60s today. And we'll take it. Until a report got to my desk this afternoon. 78 people came to church this morning here. Then, Ms. Carroll said, but Pastor, that's really not the good news. I said, there's more? We won the lottery. We're millionaires. She said, we can't play. We're Christians. I mean, you know, can't do that. Uh, but she, she said, no, there were 13 of our regulars out. Jordy was working. The Harley family got sick this morning on the way to church. Just different. She said, Pastor, do you realize that the ones that were here last Sunday, if they'd have been here this Sunday, we'd have had 92 people on our property today? You can't tell me God doesn't know what he's doing. 92 people show up here next Sunday morning. We better start thinking about some things because it's getting hot and the air conditioning's not keeping up because I sweated all morning today. I feel cooler now, but this morning I thought I took a shower in my suit coming home from church. But I say all that to say this as a, as a message of encouragement to this body and even those watching online. God's doing something and he's moving. And I don't know if he has to send them from South America and Jamaica, but he'll send them wherever they need to come from and bring them to Jesus. And I don't care. We, yes, I want to reach one family, one person, one community at a time for sure. But if God wants me to reach people from Jamaica and South America, we can do one person, one family, one community. I don't even have a problem adding one nation at a time. Whatever he wants to add, we'll be glad to tell him about Jesus.
So I want to say before this body and to God and before God that I am so humbled and I'm so thankful that 78 people today got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to Him deserves all the glory. All the glory. Now let's jump in tonight because I know you don't really care much about what I have to say. You're ready about you're ready for snack night because you know Miss Ann's in the back fixing food. I know that's what you're here for. But I want to share a little bit of the Word of God with you tonight. Revelation chapter 3, once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verse 8, then we're going to drop down into verse 10, and read down to verse 13. This particular passage of Scripture is in a compilation work of John the Revelator writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor. This particular church that he is referring to is the church at Philadelphia, or the church of brotherly love here's what he told this church he said I know your works and see I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it can I tell you when God opens the door ain't nobody gonna shut the door for you have little strength boy I remember three years ago when 19 people were in this room the first Sunday and with a couple visitors there was like 21 of us here that first Sunday in July of 2019 when I arrived it looked like we were little in number but we have kept his word and we have not denied his name and the fruits of our labor are showing for it. then he says because you have kept my commandments and you have preserved I will keep you from the hour of trials which will come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth if we keep trust in God God will take care of us behold I come quickly can you believe that church I believe that God's coming soon whether we're ready or not, one day he's going to say, ready or not, here I come. Hold fast to what you have. No one may take your crown. For he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of my, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Father, to the best of my ability, help me to preach the Word of God. Take a coal from the altar of heaven and anoint these lips of clay, that I may preach and declare and decree only what your Word says. Father, I pray that you would not let us just be hearers of this Word, but doers of it there likewise as well. And for that, we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. The people of God together said amen. Amen. You may be seated if you can in the presence of the Lord. While you're seated, just let me say to all of our singers and band uh, uh, today, thank you for your help. You guys sounded great today. I, I was um, um, slightly mesmerized when we began to uh, play tonight, sheltered in the arms of God, just the, the sound, and just I could hear all the brass, and I could hear all the instruments play and it just sounds so beautiful and if it sounds that good this side of heaven I can't wait to hear what the music of heaven will be like but thank you all for your help today and your service to the Lord tonight I want to talk to you on the future of the church what's our future oh you say well pastor you've already done you know a mission and vision statement you've cast the vision of one person one family one community at a time I know that but I'm not talking about just our little place of, par uh, if you will, parcel of land here and, and our little domicile here that we call church. I'm, I'm talking about God's church. 
not just 1211 North Highway 52, but when you go to work tomorrow, and when you go to school tomorrow, and when you go to Walmart tomorrow, and when you go back for the job tomorrow, Santee Circle Church of God's property will still be here, but God's church will be out there. I'll come in tomorrow to a church that nobody's here except maybe Brother Randy and Sister Carol stopping by and myself. But there won't be church tomorrow. There'll be a building with offices and office hours tomorrow. Church will be happening when Brother Marion goes in tomorrow to work or when Brother Mike goes into work tomorrow, when Brother Larry goes into work tomorrow. Sister Jen, church will happen when you go out there. That's where church happens tomorrow. Not here, out there. The future of the church. You know, in the day and hour in which we live, everyone is always interested about the future, their future plans, their future goals, their future ambitions. You know, most people don't really consider it, but much of what we are today, the existence of who we are today, is based upon the hope of what we are investing in for tomorrow. Why do you work? Why are you going to work tomorrow? Because you're hoping one day you can retire. That's the goal. Some people are counting down. Brother, Brother Larry and Sister Jennifer the other week, they were talking here, and she was counting out how many days, months, weeks, years she had left before she could retire. And she said, and I'm circled it on the calendar in 2050 or whatever date it was. I've already circled when I can retire. Brother Larry said amen. <laughs> I remember I went over there during VBS last year, and I saw, I thought I went to a first grade classroom at first because as soon as I walked through the front door, those of you that ever made those construction paper chain links, they were all over the house and I thought, wow, this is so cool. Until I found out why. They have these little paper link uh, chains and what they do is this has to tie into their mortgage payment of their house and every time they're able to make an additional mortgage payment, they know that as the chain gets smaller, that's the closer the payoff and so they get the, it's like a visual representation. They know there are 30 chain links left or 20. That just means that's how long before they get to pay it all. So every time they take one off, they know it's one less. Isn't that the hope of the church? Isn't that the hope of the church? Every day that passes by, every minute, every moment, every second that clicks off this, this Greco-Roman calendar, tomorrow when you wake up, can I tell you you're just one chain link closer to heaven than you were tonight? You're just one step closer. So every day that clicks by and you think, oh God, i got to face it again. No, you don't. You're one step closer to heaven. You're one step closer to eternity. That's the goal. See, the reality of it is, people think about the future of tomorrow. But you see, much of our existence is based on our tomorrow. We talk about living for the day. We talk about singing one of those songs one day at a time. You know, we have all these songs that have been written one day at a time. I'm not talking about just the church hymns, but I'm talking about there's all these songs that are about this one day, this one moment, this one experience. Everything's about living for the moment. We can sing all those all we want to, but the bottom line is the goal is tomorrow. You don't work because you want to work the rest of your life. You work because you hope there's a tomorrow of one day being retired. I have to tell this story. I hope I don't get in trouble for telling it. But we had our senior adult breakfast yesterday at a Hardy's in Monk's Corner. For all those that were 55 and older that were able to attend, had a wonderful crowd come out. And Sister Beulah's grandson came. They were coming to get food anyway, and they came and just coincidental they were there at the same time whatever and was headed out and 
Sister Beulah revealed to us, and not most of the last couple months and years as we've been planning, trying to launch this, we, I've always said every Sunday, you know, we've got seniors, they don't retire, they just switch jobs, they take care of grandbabies, and, and I always use her as an example that she's retired from physical work in terms of a, of a job, but she had her grandbabies all the time, and she said, Pastor, I get to retire. I said, for what? She said, working. I said, what's that supposed to mean? She said, Jackson goes to school in August of next year. And I said, aren't you sad? She covered his little ears and went. <laughs> and I said, what are you going to do with all your free time? You're going to be lost. Boy, I could even hear her respond. Sister Brenda Fireson said, we'll go shopping. We won't work. <laughs> you see, the reality of it is, is we do things for the promise of hope of tomorrow. That's the way we have to look at eternity. Every decision, every prayer we pray, that's one more prayer closer to heaven. Every prayer we pray, that's one more prayer closer to our son being saved or our daughter knowing Jesus. Every time we fast, we're one more miracle, one step closer to another miracle. Everything for the kingdom of God has to do with we're one more step closer to where we want to be with God. We're just getting closer. You see, when a person gets married, they get married with the future in mind. A couple has children with the future in mind. A man or woman works a job. Investments are made with hopes of return. Fortune tellers dot the land and are kept busy by, by or kept busy because of misguided souls trying to find out what the future may hold for their lives. Psychic 900 numbers are readily available so a person can sit in the comforts of their room at home and let someone try to predict them what's going to happen tomorrow. The future is a lucrative business. Stocks are sold according to the strength of the past and the projection of the future. People are looking for something to buy into, a strategy, something they can feel is a good investment. And I want to tell you the best investment we will ever make for your dollar, for your time, for your children, for your education, for your marriage, for eternity, the best investment you can ever make is becoming part of God's royal family. Becoming a part of the church of the living God. I'm not talking about just church membership. The best investment you'll ever make is being connected as a member of the family of God. Because at the end, that's the greatest investment because that will help keep you on the path toward heaven. Every week there are new reports of major layoffs. We hear always on the news job market and how many jobs and you know national jobs how many jobs were lost how many jobs have been gained and all of these the unemployment rates and all of these things financial cornerstones that our country is trusted in have been shaken natural disasters have bankrupted insurances and federal aid and emergencies funds fraudulent bureaucrats have lined their pockets with hard-earned savings of American taxpayers some feel that materialism is more valuable than the life of an unborn child. Some people think that the, the voice of the church should be silenced for the voice of propaganda and, and political agendas and ideologies to be promoted. 
A day may very soon, even sooner than we think, could come where a preacher would spend more time in jail for preaching against transgender, homosexuality, and sexual identity crisis than someone who murdered someone in cold blood. Something is wrong with the world in which we live in. There's this world would rather silence the church and shout the voices of sin in the market streets. There are people that may have to die for their faith, all for the sake of political relevancy and cultural relevancy. But I'm telling you, God will still have a church. Even if pastors get arrested for preaching the gospel against sexual identity crises and homosexuality and transgender and murderers walk free. God's not going to have a church that dies out. God has a glorious church. God has a future for the church. And there will be a remnant of God's people that will stand through the test of all time. You see, there is still one ship in the sea of life that keeps sailing on the right course. There's still one anchor that never moves. There's still one investment that never falters. It is the God of which this church was built upon. When you look at the future of the church, you see that reports have come out over the last years of people are beginning to go back to church when natural disasters and crises like COVID and other things run rampant. People all of a sudden, they look for a, a source of hope or strength, so they flood back to church. Baby boomers, millennials, Gen Z's, Generation Alpha, all these generational, uh, if you will, uh, classes, all in their own way come to church or they go to youth group or they, they go with, with family because they're looking for something. They're missing something. You see, the church of God in which we are a part of denominationally, for years has led the way in Pentecostal circles. They've had increases of within the denomination of 100 and, about 183%, while others have suffered somewhere between 8 to 45% in losses. We've grown. I'm not saying that to toot our own horn and say the church of God is better than other churches. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that people that stand for things that are right, God's going to bless them even when the world falls apart around them. You know, yeah, I still believe God that holiness is God's standard for living. And I'm not just talking about in dress and, and song selections and, and, and things like that. But I'm talking about that there are certain things that are uncompromisable. And this is one of those things that's uncompromisable. You can't not add one dot, not one tittle of this word will pass away. But God said, my word is established forever. Once you preach the word of God, you have to live the word of God. And when you live the word of God, he will bless you for living the word of God. You see, the church has a future. So what about this future? Well, let's look at it. One of the things we know about the church is soon we're going to be marching in. I'm not talking about when the saints go marching into heaven. I'm talking about things on this earth. I'm talking about things, well, I went to the enemy's camp. And I took back what he stole from me. That song, you, it doesn't have the word marching in it, but let's just let's just call you. How are you going to go into an enemy's camp if you don't get there? What you going to do, drive a car, ride a horse and buggy, pull a camel up? Where's the enemy's camp? I don't know. The enemy's camp might be a spouse. The enemy's camp might be children that have fallen by the wayside. The enemy's camp might be a sibling. The enemy's camp might be a co-worker. The enemy's camp might be people within the church. But the Bible, but, but the old songwriter said, but I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. What I I'm here to tell you is God still has the 
power to give us the ability to go out into the highways and the byways, into the darkness, and bring those in darkness, call them out back into marvelous light. You see, Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 18, the pond, the rock, talking about Peter. He wasn't talking about Peter directly, but using Peter uh, metaphorically, talking about the church of the living God. He said, Peter, the church, I will build upon you upon my church. You, Peter, the solid rock, you'll start it. You'll be a foundational cornerstone piece. But upon this rock, Peter, me, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, but you as an, an ambassador, upon this rock, I will build my church. But he didn't stop there. He said, but the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus didn't say, Peter, I'm going to build my church for hell to destroy it. He said, Peter, I'm going to build my church, and there ain't no devil in hell going to stop it. Now, the devil might try to stop it, but the devil can only stop what we give him. The devil can only take control of what we allow him to have. The reality of it is too many people are blaming the devil when the devil didn't do anything else but just take what you handed him. The devil sometimes gets a bad rap. Sometimes the devil wasn't even asking for it. We just handed it to him so we didn't have to deal with the dirty work. The reality of it is that's not what Jesus died for. He didn't die for a weak church. He didn't die for a powerless church. He died for a church triumphant that walks in doomment of empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He said the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You see, some folks may see the church with every ounce of its strength trying to muster it up to keep the devil from barging in. Some people may think we're just like a military bunker where we're all just in, uh, in, a bar in a barrack somewhere and we're bunkered down and we're just trying to shoot our little spiritual darts and our little spiritual guns at the devil trying to keep him out. No, we shouldn't be barricaded in we should be marching out, and he should be the one barricading in. It's all backwards. The devil, we shouldn't be hunkered down, terrified. I'm not just talking about quarantining from diseases and sicknesses. I'm talking about even when we talk about going to church and other things. We, as the church of the living God, shouldn't be the one with our tails tucked in fear. We should be the ones marching out there while the devil has his tail tucked in fear. The church is the church triumphant. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We've got it backwards. You have it backwards. Some folks believe you have the hold the fort attitude. That's not what God was saying. See, gates don't move. You build a gate. Every night when you go to sleep, your gate doesn't pick itself up and walk around for a while at night. And before you wake up the next morning, come back and put itself in the ground. It stays. It's there. It's a fixture. They don't just... Go out sightseeing when you're not home. If your gates do that, something's wrong with your gate. You need to call the contractor that put it in. Because that's not how that works. So when he says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the visual here is that the church must be moving against the gates of hell themselves. And to the point that the gates of hell are not strong enough to keep us out of them. Hello? Gates don't move. So if... Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against me. Well, gates can't walk in. Even if the devil comes and metaphorically puts a gate of hell at the front door, it's permanent because it's a metaphorical gate. A gate doesn't move. 
when they talk about the gates of hell not prevailing against it, we should be going into the kingdom of darkness. We should be drop kicking the gates of hell that even the barricades the devil has barricaded himself in cannot stop the church of the living God of finding another sinner and bringing them to Jesus, finding another lost person and showing them the way. There should be nothing the devil can do to stop us from accomplishing the plans of God. See, God has given us penetrating power, power that is not obsolete. You see, when a war plane is grounded and it is determined that they cannot leave the base or fly into enemy territories or drop their bombs and return safely anymore, there's a portion or a part of the military strategy that is out of the window, has to be rethought of, because one of the specialties of having aircraft support is they can do things above that we can't do below. And so one of the greatest reasons why you have Air Force and why you have people that are doing that, while the ground troops are trying to make their way, someone in the air can give them coverage. Because the enemy's going to be looking up there while they're bombing over the top, coming down from the sky, while we're sneaking in the back door. That's the whole point of having multiple. And while that's happening from the land, on the land and in the air, the Coast Guard and the Navy and all these, they're coming in by the seas to blockade and barricade so nobody can come in for resources. It's all about strategy and, and tactics. But if you take one of those out of the equation, that's one less thing you got to worry about. So if planes can't fly in, if they're grounded, things like that can't happen, well, then they, the enemy doesn't have to look to the sky. They can just focus on the things that's around them. See, the devil would have you to believe that you need to focus on everything that's around you and not look up above you. But the Bible tells me, for look up for your redemption draweth nigh. So the devil wants to make you think that God's not giving you aerial support. But I come by to remind us tonight, God still does give aerial support. He'll put a cloud in the middle of desert suns and fires in the middle of cold desert nights. I'm telling you, God's still in the specialty of aerial support. And when the devil is encamped around you, there's the host of heaven's armies that's looking down above you, protecting you, so you can keep marching on towards the call. You have support. The church is still marching on. We're taking back the territory. We're pulling down the strongholds. We're gaining ground every day. We're not to retreat. We're not to let the enemy get into the way. The other thing the church, the future of the church is, is not only are we marching in, but we should be reaching out. It shouldn't be our four and no more. It shouldn't be our little group no more. The future of the church even its present work is contingent on the future of tomorrow. Because there will come a day some of us in this building won't be here. Whether we exit via the grave or just the health of life providentially hinders us from traveling and driving and being able to see at night. There will come a day if we're not careful we may not be at church like we are tonight. There are people within our congregation that, that we talk about and that we see and we visit. And some of you know and some of them are families. They can't come to church. They're stuck. They're providentially hindered. They don't have the ability. They used to. They'd love to. But they can't. The future of the church, even in our present work that we do today, still has to be about reaching others for the hope of tomorrow. As I said to you earlier, Pentecost would have died. On that day of Pentecost in the upper room, if the 120 believers never opened the door and came out. Eventually the, revi the, revi the fires of revival die out unless somebody else goes out there and starts stoking another area that needs to be revived. 
the guide. Acts 3 tells us when Peter and John got to the lame man, that he took them, in verse 7, that he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. But notice the word, he reached out and grabbed him by the hand. The man never got up and was able to walk until someone reached out to him and pulled him up. There are sons and daughters and lost loved ones and family members and people that we know. Maybe they're, maybe they're sinners and maybe they've lost their way. But maybe they're not sinners. Maybe they just are going through a bad time. But the enemy is just beating them down and, and crushing them on every side with, with fatal blows. There are people out there. All they're waiting on is for someone to reach their hand. Metaphorically, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Reach their hand out and grab hold to them. So they can receive strength to be able to walk. Again, like they used to. So, Pastor, I don't know. How do I know who needs it? How do I know if, I, if I'm supposed to do that? I don't really know, Pastor. You don't realize what, what they've done to me. You don't realize what they've said to me. You don't, you don't realize uh, all the hurt they've caused me. How can I just reach my hand out and help them? How, how can I do that? You see, I believe 100%. That Peter and John could have just said, silver and gold, have I none, just get up and walk and walk away. And the guy could have got up. I believe that. I believe God can speak things into existence and they become reality. But I think sometimes God doesn't need us to just speak it. He needs us to touch them. Reach out and touch the Lord. Not, not, not speak to him. Hey God, how you doing? Good seeing you again. No, no. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. You'll find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment. Your needs to supply. <laughs> Speak to God. No, no, no. Reach out and touch the Lord as he goes by. See, reaching out. I remember, I remember, you know, you say, well, Pastor, you, you know, I, I don't know about, you know, if I, if I should do this, if I should do that. You know, I, you, know, you don't realize the kind of people that are around me and who I work with or whatever. Well, well I wonder if God would have said that about us. I wonder if God will look down over the portals of heaven and realize, oh, I don't know if I want to get my hands in that. They're kind of dirty in sin. But the old songwriter, I don't know if he was, if he knew he was under the spirit of the Lord when he wrote the song, but I do believe after he wrote it that the spirit of the Lord at least used it and he didn't even realize it, but he said this in an old song. He said this, he said, not only did he talk about reaching out and touch the Lord, but he said, but when my Savior reached down for me, he had to reach way down, not a little bit, way, way down for me. For I was lost and undone without God or his son. But he reached way down. What if God would have said, I, I can't reach my hand down there. I can't do that. Where would we be today? See, we, we're quick to judge. We're quick to chastise. We're quick to condemn. When sometimes God doesn't need us to do anything else than just with an extension of hand. Say, come here. Pick them up. Because somebody may need strength again. Somebody may need hope again. Somebody may need love again. They just need somebody to help them get up again. Help them just get up. Again, in fact, Joel 3 and 13 says, put the sickle into the field for the harvest is ripe. Luke 10 and 2 says, therefore he said unto them, 
for the harvest is truly great, but the workers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers in the fields. There is people out there that God wants to reach, but he has to have somebody go out there and get them. A farmer does not harvest a crop if he doesn't go out into the field and get in there to get the crop. It don't just self-bundle itself and throw itself into the silos or the bins. You have to go out there and get it. But I want to finish with not only are we marching in, not only is the future of the church that we should be reaching out, one day church, we're moving up. I'm not talking about a promotion. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about not just a promotion on the job. I'm not talking about a promotion in the company. I'm talking about one day we're going to be promoted from these mortal bodies of clay into a glorified, celestial, changed body. And to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord one day, we're not going to have to march into the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from us. Nor are we going to have to reach out to reach people because these feet will lose gravitational force and pull and these feet will levitate off the ground and the dead in Christ shall rise. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds of glory. So shall we be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. There's coming a day, church, you talk about getting a promotion, we're getting a promotion. We're not driving on on, on, on pothole-filled roads, roads, but we'll be walking on streets of gold. We won't be living in little sticks and mortar and houses that are made man-made, but we'll be living in mansions designed by the greatest architect of all time, an architect whose city and builder and maker is God himself. We won't be having to look at the dunginess of the things of the south side of town or the graffiti walls across the street, but we're going to be able to look at streets of gold, jasper walls, gates of pearls. We're going to see celestial river sides. We're going to be moving up out of here. The future of the church is not to stay here, but to get going over there. That's the future of the church. Those that are saved and are called out, the bridegroom will call us away. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he may present to himself a glorious church. Not having spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be made holy without blemish. We read it in Revelation 3 and 10 in our reading today. Because thou hast kept my word, I will keep you from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9 says, For God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, it is very clear that Jesus is describing his church. Miss Carol, as you make your way. He's talking to his people, the church. But it is significant that in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, the first three chapters, all he's talking about is the church, the church, the church, and the church. But in Revelation chapter 4, if you still have your Bibles, you have it open, I want you to look at verse number 1 in Revelation 4. He, For the first three chapters, all he's been talking to is the church. By the start of chapter 4, he says this, And after this, I looked up, and behold, there was a door opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, as if it were a trumpet talking to me, said to me, Come up here. There's coming a day, the Bible said. Now notice what he said. 
I heard a voice as if a trumpet were talking to me. The Bible says that in the end of time, the trump of God shall sound. And when it sounds in the moment, as in a twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. We may not hear the voice, but when we hear the first note of Gabriel's trumpet, we're going to experience what John wrote in Revelation 4 and 1. The trumpet shall sound, but we're going to hear, come up here. Come up here here come to me I've been waiting on you that trumpet shall sound our bodies shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye we shall be caught up and we're going to hear him say come on home come here welcome home come home come home you realize that the church the church that Jesus talked about in Revelation after that chapter 1, 2 and 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 when he said come up here the church is not mentioned again in Revelation until chapter 19 when it is described as the bridegroom at the marriage supper of the Lamb. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that you don't lose hope in this dark world. The church of Jesus Christ is getting ready to move up. And I'm a part of that glorious church. So no matter how bad it gets here, Brother James, it can only last for so long because I know I'm moving up there. Just this past weekend, my parents began to make their transition, getting some of their house in order for their retirement. And they had boxes, and we moved boxes, and we have moved suits, and we have moved clothes, and we have moved china, and we have moved everything you could possibly think of all over the place, boxes everywhere. Moving is not always fun. It's work. Can I tell you that while they had to use U-Haul trucks and trailers and had to have assistant helps from people to help them get furniture broken down, tore apart in the different places. When I go to my next movie, not, not, I'm not talking about moving from Cane Bay to a house across town, but when I move from here to there, I don't have to take a bay, I don't have to take apart a bedroom suit. I don't even have to worry about my clothes. The Bible said, I'm going to get garments of praise and robes of righteousness. I don't even have to worry about what my wardrobe is because there's no better designer of clothing than Jesus. That's the best designer clothes you'll ever wear. I don't have to take pots and pans. I don't have to move flowers. There's already trees planted. You thought, my mother has a, a greenhouse full of plants. I hate those things with a passion. They are so, they're huge. They are a bear to move. They're massive. I said, if something should ever happen to both of them, I'm opening up the house with a cash register and an auctioneer, and I'm just letting people make recommendations and take it out the house and give us a donation out the door. I'll pay tithes off of it, and I'll give it back to God. But I don't have to worry about going to heaven and planting a tree. God's already planted them. I don't have to worry about what the what the hydrangeas look like or what the apple tree looks like or how is the crepe myrtle looking because God's going to have plants I don't have to plant they won't ever look bad frost won't destroy them Japanese beetles won't eat them because God will keep them alive I'll get to walk by crystal rivers that are transparent they're not going to be murky and dirty and muddy they'll be transparent and clear 
See, when I move up there, I don't have to take anything with me because it's already awaiting me when I get there. The future of the church is no matter how bad it gets here, there's something better over there. And to be absent from here means I'm just one step closer to getting over there. Let's pray together. Father, I have done my best tonight to preach your word to the people of God. God, I believe you are our portion, my strength and deliverer. God, today I pray you would speak to the hearts of those in this house of worship. As we get ready, God, to segue into a time of fellowship together, I pray, God, you let this word resonate in our heart and speak to us today. Let us carry the presence of God that we felt this morning with us tonight and into our homes and into our week. Let us not be discouraged because, God, we know you have plans that are greater than our minds can think, comprehend, or fathom. Father, today I pray that you would bless us. I pray that you would bless us and keep us. You make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts until you come again. Father, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and redeemer. People of God together said amen. As we get ready to close here in just a moment, Brother Randy prays our blessing and our benediction. Uh, I want to uh, ask you to pray tonight as well, Sister Brenda Burbage uh, asked me earlier tonight just there's some things going on in their family uh, Sister Alma and her uh, are dealing with some things in their family uh, and she just wants the hand of God to intervene and to help in that situation it's weighing heavy on her heart she said Pastor when y'all close the night service she went in the back or whatever but she said when y'all close service would you just pray for us and our family and I said we'll absolutely will so as Brother Randy makes his way to close us out in prayer tonight I'm going to ask that you stand all over the house. But as he closes in prayer, I'm going to ask that you would to remember that request. And we uh, don't forget Wednesday night, uh, Bible study at 7 p.m. Brother Randy. Yes. Sister Louise. Okay. We need to pray for Sister Jane. She's got some doctor appointments and some blood work they want to get checked out. So pray for her as well. Don't forget Wednesday night. Bible study. Brother Randy will be teaching on Wednesday night uh, for you. Uh, and then uh, next Sunday, Brother Art will be here. 